Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From NOLA Pizza in the NOLA Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're out to lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birkenrode Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. In our market-driven economy, we have an innate belief that price and value are connected. The more valuable something is, the more it costs. But strangely, it doesn't always work that way. Take sodium, for example. Sodium is vital to our very survival as human beings. It's essential for nerve and muscle function, and it plays a role in the body's control of blood pressure. Most of our sodium comes from eating sodium chloride, better known as salt. We add salt to practically every food item we make, and maybe it's because the human body is designed to keep us alive. When salt is missing from food, we think it doesn't taste right. And yet, despite the fact that it's one of the most valuable substances in our lives, next time you're in the supermarket, take a look at the price of salt. It's extraordinarily cheap. Salt is a spice. Like salt, other spices are relatively cheap too because spices sell in small quantities and have low profit margins. It's difficult for a small spice company to survive. Barclay Rafferty is the co-founder of Royal Merchant Trading, a New Orleans spice company whose plan for survival is a brick and mortar storefront, a spice store in the Garden District and a shopping center called The Rink. Barclay Rafferty, welcomed out to lunch. Hi, thanks for having me. Although the Murray's family New Orleans roots go back to the 1700s, in those 300 years, nobody in the Murray family made wine. In fact, very few people in New Orleans have ever made wine. After all, grapes don't really grow here. In 2010, the Murray family bought a vineyard in Sonoma, California. The plan was to use the house on the property as a vacation home and lease the grapevines to people who knew something about making wine. Well, that plan didn't exactly work out. 300 years of inexperience was quickly dispensed with, and today the Murray family makes six wines. Now, those are three Cabernets, a Zinfandel, a a Chardonnay, and a Rosé, under the distinctly New Orleans label Flambeau Winery. Flambeau Winery's wines are sold across the country in every state, and they've been recognized in all sorts of important places, including Best Wine Award from the prestigious Food and Wine magazine. New Orleanian Stephen Murray Jr. still doesn't refer to himself as a winemaker, preferring the title Wine Ambassador. Stephen claims that while most of his family is on the production side of the business, he is actually on the consumption side. Stephen Murray Jr., welcomed out to lunch. Thank you. Great to be here. Barkley, I'm intrigued by the strategy you decided on to build your spice business. Uh, You bought the coffee shop Still Perkin in a shopping center called The Rink in the Garden District. As I understand it, you've reconfigured the business to retain the coffee shop and add a family-style restaurant. All this is apparently in the service of a grand plan to create a brick-and-mortar storefront for what was an only online spice business, Royal Merchant Trading. So not only are you going in the opposite direction of most current trends, which is to shrink retail in favor of e-commerce, but also now you're running a restaurant, another business that has notoriously low margins and a high degree of difficulty. But I know you're not crazy. You have an MBA from Tulane and you have business partners. So what exactly 
are you thinking? <laughs> well, I think like so many people, the world, I saw the world um, turned on its end when we were sitting in the middle of lockdown. And I got a funny phone call from um, the owner of the Garden District Bookshop in New Orleans. He's a good friend of mine, and uh, we had joked for years about buying the bookstore from him when he retired, which I fully expected would be when he was 105. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it'd been there forever, right? Like for 40, 40 years. plus years. Yeah. And uh, he called, and he, he asked me if we wanted to buy it. And I said, no. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. And over the course of the next six months, um, I started to have conversations with the daughter of the owner of the building, who's a very close friend of mine as well. And she was talking to the owner of Still Perkin about buying Still Perkin. At one point, we were sitting in, a, in their backyard, like everybody did, right in that stage phase one, whatever it was. And we looked at one another and said, why aren't we doing all of this together? Our goals are the same. We want to create a family-friendly atmosphere, a community center of sorts at the rink. The Garden District Bookshop gave the kind of creative and cultural legitimacy to the project. The restaurant brings people in. Um, why, aren't, why aren't we doing all of this but as a team? But you did. And we did, and that is exactly where we got there. And one of the reasons, as I watched the grocery industry develop, I realized I really didn't want any part of that. Um, and so we decided to take the concept of the new restaurant and make it very flavor forward, very accessible, not necessarily technique forward. Right. Now I want to talk to you about that restaurant because I <laughs> sure. go, go through that all the time. Now, Stephen, across the U.S., New Orleans is a brand. It's associated with music, food, and celebration. The single most identifiable embodiment of that perception, of course, is Mardi Gras. Although those of us who live here might regard Rex as the king of Mardi Gras, the rest of the country has a notion that the ancient Greek god Bacchus reigns over the festivities. Bacchus is traditionally depicted holding an oversized wine goblet and a bunch of grapes. He's the god of wine. So calling your wine label Flambeau with its association to Mardi Gras is a smart piece of marketing. But Flambeau's vineyards are in California. The wine is made in California. So what is the actual connection between New Orleans and Flambeau wines? Well, the connection between New Orleans and Flambeau wines is my family. <coughs> My father and brother were looking for a vacation home and uh, settled on, as you mentioned in your introduction, they settled on Sonoma because they uh, could have a nice place with a nice view and someone else was doing all the winemaking. Perfect climate too. And my mother made them promise that they would not get into the winemaking business. They were just going to have a winery. Uh, that didn't last very long <laughs> and next thing you know we were making wine. And when it came to uh, coming up with a name, we wanted something because that expressed our New Orleans roots. We were sitting around the table throwing out all kinds of things from chapatulas, which of course you can't put on right. a wine bottle. I remember your first Not idea was go cup, which I thought was a bad yeah. idea. But it's um... <laughs> go cups and wine don't mix together too well. Um, and then I think it was my mom said, "What about flambeau?" And just everyone at the table said, "Boom, that's it." Uh, it expresses everything we love about New Orleans and everything we love about Mardi Gras. Um, and as my brother likes to point out, it also is a torch. Flambeau is a torch. Right. It's French for and, flame, I guess. Yes, and, and his uh, daughters live with him on the property, and they work very much in the business. So he sees this business as a torch to be passed on to the oh. next generation. So Flambeau has a triple entendre, if you will. <laughs> 
Now, Barkley, one of the things that I was trying to figure out is you've got this, what is this new restaurant you've, um, that you're going to have. And I guess just for people who have been at the rink, you go up the front stairs and it's over to the, over to the right there. You go up the front stairs and it's over to the right. It, <laughs> I just had to turn around to make sure that that was the case. Um, it's a good size space. Uh, it, so it's a great size space. It, we, we moved into a new space after a, a tenant moved out, a legacy tenant moved out. Um, and, you know, the entire, all of the retailers at the rink are actually under new ownership. So we have these legacy brands that have been given new life um, in a wonderful way. And the same thing is happening with um, still Perkin to be uh, the Chicory House. The Chicory House is the name of the restaurant. And we, um, you know, we built this kitchen out from scratch. So it's a whole whole new ball game. Barker, for us. I'll ask you a business school question. Yeah. Have you ever run a restaurant or a bookshop? I haven't. Retail is entirely new to me. Hospitality is entirely new to me. Scary? Terrifying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not just scary. Uh, Carol and I are learning on the ground. We're really excited about it. One of the things I personally enjoy um, is a new project, whatever that project might be. And so, you know, we, we've, we've gone in as deep as we possibly can, and we have an incredible support system, which includes all of the people in the hospitality industry in New Orleans, all of the people in the retail um, industry in New Orleans. They've been giving us every pointer, every piece of advice. And people say that's different about New Orleans, is rather than view people as competitors, they're always trying to trying to help out. I, Absolutely. Um, Stephen, um, when I talk to people that own uh, other wineries or sometimes a rum, uh, a rum company, one of the things they talk about is being able to sell it at the facility out in Sonoma. Are there tours? There are. Uh, we do tours at our Custom Crush facility, which is called Crush. Uh, it's a co-op <laughs> that uh, we own with a lot of other wineries where we actually produce the wine. So we grow the wine on the estates and the different um, vineyards, and then we bring it to Windsor, California to Crush. And that's where we also have our tasting rooms. Now, these are a lot of people just stomping on grapes, I would imagine? Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Nobody really stomps on grapes. As they say, they, they like to have an... Uh, a light tamp and an open fermentation, but oh, nobody okay. stamps on There goes my <laughs> retirement idea. There's a... But uh, we do uh, tastings both at the Crush facility, and uh, if you book it in advance, you can do a tasting at our facility, uh, actually on the property. Now when I think of you, I think of a lot of different distribution ends. You've got restaurants, you've got grocery stores, you've got online. Who's in charge of that? I mean, what is... What is Wine Ambassador? I can imagine it looks great on a resume. Well, as you said in your introduction, I'm more on the consumption side <laughs> than the production side. So uh, my brother and father and mother who are living in California, they're involved with the business end of actually producing the wines. I have the very fun job of taking the wines around to restaurants and parties and drinking them with people. <laughs> <laughs> that, I imagine, has its own stress, though, really. I, it, people shouldn't laugh at your yeah, job. But, yeah, but you, you, you can always uh, drink wine to ease the stress. Oh, there it is. So they, it, uh, it, it's, it's a business that builds its own stress, but it also has its own built-in stress relief. <laughs> now, Barkley, you actually, one of the companies you kind of started with some help from John Clark at Tulane in the Absolutely. business school. So that's pretty good. But I, you're a cook. You said you use um, a lot of different spices. Uh, some of them are pretty esoteric. What about the retail trade? Do people understand some of the things you're you're stocking well that's one of the reasons why the physical storefront is going to be so important and when i say storefront the the 
coffee shop, the Chicory House, is really representative of Royal Merchant Trading Company in the sense that so many of the flavors that will come through a simple chicken salad are you know, flavors that you wouldn't necessarily think to put in that chicken salad at home. Something like a lemon dill chicken salad is very different than your grandmother's recipe with, you know, walnuts and raisins, right? Have you found a way to market that to the, the folks? I mean, because that's one of the things. Why does this taste so good? Oh, it well, happens to be sold just in the back of you. Exactly. And that's that's one of the things that we're working on. I mean, because this restaurant is a counter service based restaurant, there is so much opportunity for just shelf based marketing, right? And um, we're very excited about that. Also, people are used to seeing brand names on menus at this point. It's, you know, we've seen it for the past 10 years. And so to say lemon dill chicken salad with um, Indian dill from Rural Merchant Trading Company doesn't scare people or seem as pretentious at a bistro type space as it might have 10 years ago. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with Barkley Rafferty, whose Royal Merchant Trading Company sells spices and Stephen Murray Jr., brand ambassador at Flambeau Wines. Stephen, one of the things you mentioned is that Flambeau is, of course, you know, a great example of Mardi Gras. Do you push that? Uh, in other words, is that your calling card? Because I know it's very difficult to get a small wine into a restaurant, for instance. Uh, we certainly rely on the connection to New Orleans and Mardi Gras. I think a lot of people end up clicking on the Flambeau site because of the name and just interest in the connection to New Orleans. Hopefully uh, they then taste the wines and stay for the wines. Uh, but we certainly uh, are very proud of and use as one of our focal marketing points the fact that we're from New Orleans and we do have this long association with the traditionals of car- traditions of carnival. Yeah, what we, I'm thinking about is the the restaurants, for instance. They've uh, how do you a tough market to get into? Is it you physically walking in there? And a lot of times it has been, um, and you know some of my marketing has even involved just bringing the wines to Mardi Gras balls and luncheons and all the parties that we're all used to going to in New Orleans and plopping it on the table. And of course, with the name Flambeau, people walk up and what is this? Well, let me tell you. Yeah, I'll see, I have to tell um, them what a Flambeau yet. is too. And yeah. Well, fortunately in New Orleans, I don't have to tell anybody what a Flambeau is when, but when I a, do in that. Iowa, marketing. you do though. But in Iowa, we definitely do. And you mentioned that you're a small vineyard. What? How small is small? I guess I, I guess what we would be, I think uh, uh, Barkley and I would be thinking is how many bottles a year or something like that. We, our entire business produces 1,400 cases, and we do that out of several different vineyards. Um, 1,400, you know, cases 12 bottles, so you do the math. Um, <clears throat> we grow our, started out with just the vineyard in um, Dry Creek uh, in Sonoma, and then we expanded to other parts of Sonoma. So our Chardonnay comes from the Sonoma coast, which is a great place for making Chardonnay. Our property in the Dry Creek is not so good for that. Um, the property in Dry Creek is only 12 acres, and there we grow one of our Cabernets and also uh, our, some of our Zinfandel. But we also have a vineyard in uh, the Alexander Valley where we grow another one of the Cabernets. I said the Chardonnay comes from the Sonoma Coast. Uh, but still, 1,400 cases is very small production compared to you know, most of the companies Ernest and Julio Gallo produce more, I would say. Just just a tad <laughs> more than us. <laughs> to, to give you an example, I think some of the French chateaus, um, even though they're single vineyard, they may produce something on the order of 25,000 cases a year. Oh, wow. That's, uh, doesn't mean it's better. No, it's, it's right there. <laughs> uh, Barkley, uh, 
you now own this bookstore. You said that you know you didn't know too much about bookstores before, aside from the fact that you went to them and such. You've got huge competition online with, with an Amazon. What are some of the things you do? Like I tend to go, I mean, I, I love local bookstores, but the other thing I go is uh, for things like readings. Uh, are you going to do those kind of things? So events are very important to the bookstore. They're very important to any independent bookstore. And as we've seen in the past 20 plus years, the bookstores who have survived have been the ones who have been able to keep maintain events. Um, I, I'm going to just speak from the perspective that uh, I understand that I am crazy and I understand that everybody <laughs> involved in this is crazy. You know, because I'm going back to the business school. I'm yeah, telling yeah, others. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I, I just want to go ahead and say that So we bought the bookstore on February 1st, 2021. Um, it was in that period of time when we thought maybe we could get away with an event. There, The people above the yeah, age of 65 right. were um, vaccinated, et cetera, et cetera. And Walter Isaacson, another wonderful local sure. friend, um, was coming out with his latest book. And he already had a virtual event scheduled with Britton Trice, the former owner of the bookstore, who's also a friend of his. And um, I called him the day after we bought the bookstore and said, you think we can get away with an in-person event? And you know, the first conversation was, yeah, maybe 25 really good friends. We'll get there. We had 200 people. I mean, when you throw um, that name out there, you're going <laughs> to... We did. We had 200 people. We did it outside. It was totally safe. I didn't sleep a wink the night before. But what it did was it kicked us off with a really big bang. And it also brought a lot of attention to the sale of the bookstore um, from the people up in New York. Um, all of those big publishing houses all of a sudden looked at these crazy people with sure. zero book selling experience, zero retail experience, <laughs> zero hospitality experience, and said, they put together this event in two weeks, and everybody loved it. And, you know, you started with a, a great, not as a great writer, but those bang. books yeah. are really thick. They sure so are. They, uh, are, um, you know, <laughs> we also... I, I, I kind of love the fact that we don't have experience in these industries because we don't have the institutional history that prevents us from doing what has always been done, right? Or can, makes us continue to do what has always been done. Um, and so we have realized that our biggest advocates are the people in the publishing houses. And if we do what they're excited about, such as having a ticketed event that includes the price of the book, um, selling it ahead of time. Is that what you did for the Isaac? We did. We've done wow. it for almost every event since then as well. And that's what they're excited about. Stephen, the, I, I guess everybody asked ask you this that's from outside of California, but what on earth did you do during the fires? I mean, it seemed to take the, all of Northern California. You know, uh, I'm knocking on wood as I answer your question. We've been extremely fortunate through a number of fire seasons. Um, not all vineyards have. And not all vineyards have. In fact, one of our vineyards that we produced, one of our uh, Cabernets from the Redwood Vineyard, uh, we produced in 2017, we had bottled that wine just before that vineyard was lost to a fire. Um, so that Redwood Vineyard uh, Cabernet will never be making again, or at least not for many, many years. Um, but fortunately, our home and where the family lives in the, the what I call the flagship estate at Dry Creek has been very lucky through a number of fire seasons. Uh, so far, they have not been affected. They had to evacuate once or twice, but the grapes and the wines have not been affected. And in the vineyard that we lost, the Redwood Vineyard that we lost in 17, uh, we'd actually already harvested. So our wine was over in Windsor and not, not likely to be affected by the fires, although unfortunately the vineyard was. You know, I don't know anything about wine. I 
actually know an incredible amount about pizza, but it's uh, <laughs> they. Uh, but you know, I was in a coffee shop up in that area, uh, in Napa, and it was after some of the wines. And the guy at the next table, a bunch of guys, I guess that's what they did for a living, was saying that the stress that the grapes go under actually could produce a better, um, a better vintage. I thought that was wild. Well, there's a philosophy in winemaking that the more you stress a grape, actually the better the grape is. Um, the more that you stress a grape, the more concentrated the sugars are going to be. Uh, think about the old adage about you make the best violins with the trees that come from the highest peaks because they are exposed to the most extreme uh, circumstances. I don't know if it's been proven yet that fire will make a better wine, um, but certainly arid temperatures and flinty soil make a good wine. So it's entirely possible that fires and ash will end up making uh, at least a more interesting wine. I am going to use will, this at parties. This one great. thing it will definitely do is make a different wine. Um, you know, wine is a reflection of where it's grown. It's a reflection of the soil. It's a reflection of the weather. Um, it's a reflection even of the people who are making it. So if you've had a fire in the area, um, it's going to affect the wine in one way or another, and hopefully for the better. We think it's been for the better. <laughs> now, Barkley, let's go back to the original company. Yeah. <laughs> John Clark, the spices. I mean, that's pretty esoteric. Why were you interested in spices in the first place? You know, it started off as... Um, just an amalgamation of projects that I had done in business school, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I, I think everything comes back around. Everything is very, very cyclical. And I am an avid home cook. I, I you know, love to experiment in the kitchen and, and play around to the point where it takes up way too much of my time. Um, and, you know, we saw this gap in the industry. We wanted to make spices more accessible. We wanted to make flavors um, more like understandable and we wanted to bring a better quality product to the average home chef I you know watched myself in my own frustration trying to find uh, Szechuan peppercorn at when, one point in New Orleans okay. when cooking for you know something that I decided to make out of food and wine one one night um, and you know to see this incredible publication with the cover of the magazine um, you know, I was just trying to make the recipe that was on the cover of the magazine. And I went to every grocery store in town, and at one point I was on the top, and, you know, I couldn't find anything. I bound and determined to make that damn recipe that night. <laughs> and after going to all these different um, grocery stores, I found myself on the top of the Mississippi Bridge driving to the Hong Kong market at oh, 8 p.m. Oh, I thought this was going to end worse. <laughs> no, no, okay. no, no. I, I knew that's exactly where we, you, you were going to go. But I was driving to the um, to the Hong Kong market to go buy a pound of Szechuan peppercorn and realized, what a ridiculous point in my life. Why am I doing this? And uh, at that point, where I realized, I think, you know, I just have to go for this. I have to take these products and bring them to people. And, Barkley, just one, one more question I wanted to ask was, we, we got through where Stephen was distributing. You're, you've got the storefront, you've sure. got online, and then are you walking around talking to restaurants and everything else? I sure am. Um, we, I, I have maintained my relationship with a number of restaurants throughout the pandemic, and that's really the thing that kept Royal Merchant alive. We purposefully went dormant for on our online retail side um, because I found it incredibly difficult at that point to just fulfill to, all of yeah, those orders it, yeah. um you know we had we had kind of jumped to a point of of major fulfillment and then to go back was very very difficult and i realized 
from the educational perspective and from the distribution perspective, we needed an alternate plan. That's where the Chicory House comes in. You know, one of the things that jumped out uh, earlier in the show is that you you both have family involved. That's one thing. And you have, you know, potentially or outside investors or, or such. How difficult is it? Well, Stephen, I'll start with you. Dealing with a, a family business. I mean, you know, we have family businesses... Uh, and I, people tell me that it's like a third finance, a third accounting, and a third psychiatry. I don't. <laughs> well, while we're relatively new to the wine business, uh, we our first wine came out in 2014. We've been in the law business all of our lives as a family. Uh, my mother and father started the Murray Law Firm, our family firm, uh, back in 1969. I, I came along nine months later and was born in 1970. <laughs> uh, then my brother and I both went to work in the firm. So a lot of the problems that one has with family businesses, we've already worked out and been through, although we've invented quite a few new ones with the wine business as well. <laughs> uh, including what kind of discount do you give your brother when he's bringing wines to restaurants to help pipe them? Right. He is the ambassador, you know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and, Mark, you have, it, it, um, oh, now that you've expanded so much, you've got different kind of people with different interests in, in uh, the operation. How do you handle that? Well, we certainly all have different interests, but we all have opinions. Um, <laughs> and uh, I have to say, I, I feel very frankly that, a sense of place and a sense of family, those are just probably the two most, most important things um, to me in my life. And as you talked about how we kind of went against the trend, I think a sense of place is what really drove us back into a brick and mortar hybrid um, retail hospitality space. But how do we how do we deal with all of that? We talk, we talk it through. I mean, you have to have these honest conversations with people, even if they started off as friends and then became family or you know, I came home and tell my husband, no, this is what's happening at, at the store today. And he certainly has his opinions, too. You know, we all we all just have to work through it in the in the most respectful and best way that we can. You bring in a referee or a facilitator? Or? I think I'm the referee most oh, of the time. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I've got to ask you both in terms of starting out and such. Have you have you made money yet or what's your plan for kind of, you know, going into the uh, the black here? Well, we lose money on every bottle, but we plan to make it up on volume. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there is a course you need to take about that. There's a, the, yeah, you, you, you can tell we went to law school and not business school. <laughs> um, no, we do have a long pan, long-term plan. Our focus now is on building the brand. Um, that's frankly why we're priced where we are. We could be charging a lot more for this particular wine, but we're trying to get the uh, the brand out there. Um, and we hope that in time, you know, that 1,400 cases will be a much larger production, and uh, eventually in time we'll start making money on it. But right now it's still in the building phase. You know what I would think, and I don't know this for sure, so I'm going to ask you, is growing grapes might be considered technically agriculture, and there's a lot of tax breaks for that. Do you Are you able to participate in that? Uh, absolutely. And it's not technically agriculture. It is agriculture. It is. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> as, as my brother frequently reminds me, um, the business begins and ends in the vineyard. Um, what we're doing and what I'm doing as a brand ambassador is an afterthought. Um, if what they do in the vineyard isn't right, what I bring to the table isn't going to be right. Um, and fortunately, we have a great vineyard manager in Javier Riva. Um, we have a great business, uh, a winemaker in Ryan Pritchard, 
two really lucky finds when we started out early in the business. And because of them, we're making a product that frankly hits above our weight for, for newcomers to the game. And I think the, the critical scores can attest to that. Well, Barkley, in addition to yourself and you've got other people that have an interest, are you turning a profit yet? Or really, same question I asked Stephen, or is there a timeline you hope that would happen? Sure. Um, well, there's obviously a difference between, you know, buying a legacy brand and establishing a brand. And where where I am is, you know, in these three different spaces. I'm five years into building a brand from the ground. We purchased a bookstore that has been around for 40 plus years. And we're just newly at the point where, you know, we, we're building a brand new brand in the Chicory House. Um, of course, the one that's making money is the one that's been around for 40 plus years. Uh, and so I was really, really thrilled that we met our uh, 2021 targets with the Garden District Bookshop. And, and that has been one of the things that has helped us push on to the next level with the other, with the other two brands as they kind of come together. When you start a business, there's no guarantee it's going to work. The one thing you can guarantee, however, is you're going to work. You're going to work long hours, including nights and weekends and holidays, and you invariably find yourself having to come up with solutions to a myriad of problems you never knew existed. That's why the single most common piece of guidance to people who are starting a new business is find something to do that you really love. Barkley and Stephen, you're both great examples of the benefits of taking that simple business advice. And although happiness isn't a line item on a balance sheet, it's definitely a contributing factor to overall success. Thank you both for taking the time to join me today on Out to Lunch. Thank you. Thank you for having us. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Barkley Rafferty, co-founder of Royal Merchant Trading Company, and Stephen Murray Jr., brand ambassador at Flambeau Wines. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Barclays, Stephen, and New Orleans wines and spices by listening to our Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. These photos were taken today by Jill LaFleur. You can find more of Jill's photos at lafleurphoto.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. And our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Raschuti. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business New Orleans style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane, Three Roll is came to glass. And by Basics Swimming Gym and Basics Underneath Fine Lingerie. And by the It's New Orleans Happy Hour podcast. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.